Welcome to Spoilers Please, where we have discussions involving any form of media that tells stories, usually movies and TV shows, and we'll do so with spoilers. You've been warned. Hello, my name is Albert. Hey, this is Josephine. This is Edward. And for this episode, we are going to be talking about this indie movie called The Tiger Hunter. Yeah! Now, now uh, Edward and Josephine was able to talk to the director. and Did you talk to any of the actors too? No, just the director. Yeah, we we the director. wanted to talk to, like, obviously Danny Pudi and whoever else, like, Karen... Karen David. Karen David. But then um, they are obviously a lot busier. I mean, not saying that the director is not busy, but then to get everybody in the same room at once, if we were to even just do Skype or whatever, it was like, oh, it's gonna... You're gonna have to wait even longer. So we're like, oh, okay, we'll just do an interview with the director alone. Okay, so I would like you guys to actually take the lead on this, since you have more intimate knowledge with this production and the movie. So go ahead, I'll guys. I'll give that take to Edward, because... He went completely goo goo gaga all over this movie when yes. he watched it. Uh, so we first saw. So to give context of what the Tiger Hunter is, it's uh, people already. Film. I'm assuming they watched they, it. That's why they're oh, okay. Listening. That's why. Oh, they're but first off, if you right. saw, if it's, if you took the effort to watch this movie, thank you. It's always good for you guys to to support independent films, especially the ones yes. where the majority of the of the movie are Asians. We know, you know, we I like know. that brown <laughs> people, brown Asians. That's so weird. Um. So. All right, so yeah, we I first saw this film at the 2016 Los Angeles Asian Film Festival. It was their opening film, and when we when Joseph and I saw, it, I we came out of the theater like extremely pleasantly surprised. I have to say that I've never really been attending those Asian film festivals, so when I watched this movie, I was like, "Wow, all the films of these festivals must be really amazing." I was so let down because we watched so many movies and shorts after that, and I was like, they all suck. The standard was really high. What happened? Um, so, yeah, but when we when I watched, I I, I it was like this it was like this pleasant feeling of like it, it felt good. It was like a feel good movie where you came away and it was like yes, it wasn't quite like a happy ending for the main character, but at the same time, it was like a realistic ending of like you know where to go. Granted, there are like there's several like problems of film, like pacing issues and character issues. But overall, I thought the film was excellent in the sense that like in for the in terms of representation of Asian Americans, it is excellent. It is awesome to watch Danny Pudi play the romantic lead, play someone who's not a character or some weird guy, even though he's excellent at doing that. But it was great to see him be this be this guy. Um and it's also nice to see that for a film that or film or TV show that has an Asian male as a lead, that the love interest was also Asian because we notice there's a trend or usually when that happens because recently Asians are able to break through into the mainstream entertainment. But the love interest always happens to be white. Um, so it's refreshing to see someone where it's like, oh, it's not a white person. There's no standard like, oh, you got to fall in love with this. And it's interesting because like this film came out not too long after uh, another film with uh, another popular Indian actor, which in this case is Big Sig with Kumal Nanjani. Um, so overall, I I I love the film. And then when we re rewatched it again to write the review for the Nerds in anticipation when they were having their limited uh, theatrical release. Um, I loved it just as much. I mean, like it's it it still holds truth to me, and I, this is something that. Uh, when people say, hey, you know, I don't think there are good, you know, Asian American films out there. Or like if they say, I don't think there are any good Indian American films out there, blah, blah, blah. And I would always be like, Tiger Hunter, just watch Tiger Hunter. So that's that was my experience of this film. Yeah, I enjoyed the movie. It's a very uh, Wes Anderson 
type of film that I think we did mention it with the director and she was like, oh, I'm, you know, I love Wes Anderson. So I'm glad you got that vibe. And we're like, yeah, cool. Because like the colors were amazing. And then whoever her production team was, her crew was really amazing. So they did a good job filling out the world, um, especially since, yeah, it's an indie film. And so she had to do everything herself. And they didn't have like the money that Big Sick has. And then, uh, you know how, what was it, Judd Apatow? Like he's, he helped with the big six so you know what they're getting like the recognition they're getting i'm like no that's great but this film i felt like you know it deserves more praise because of the it's length the of time yeah it's the underdog film and also just how much more actual indie of a film it is um and like edward said danny pudi like i really like him in community and that's all i really know him from um i've seen him like in small bits and parts in other things but then this one is like this tiger hunter he gets to be the lead oh my god and like for once like when they show an immigrant story it's not like a cliche bad like oh look at these immigrants people will make yeah. fun of their accents mm-hmm. and so they, everyone retained their accents but then it worked for their characters and it wasn't like ooh, he's a dirty brown terrorist or whatever and you know but i that's why i was like no this is nice like they're just trying to live their lives so kind of like fresh off the boat i guess except i've never actually watched fresh off the boat except just you know excerpt here and there um so yeah this movie i thought did a really good job of that without having to make them fall into like bad stereotypes um and yeah i think i don't know it's a good movie and it's yeah feel goody i mean there are problems unfortunately yeah uh but then overall though i enjoyed the film a lot uh soundtrack i think was good too Mm -hmm. the colors were good the wardrobe was good the acting was good yeah, overall yeah. it was good. What about you, Albert? What did you think? Now, what you guys said was a feel-good movie. Completely agree. By the end of the movie, totally a feel-good movie. Um, I would say this, the best part of this movie actually is the second half. The second half is when I thought it got its groove. in the begin- I'm not sure if she directed it in chrono- chronological order, but it seemed like the tone of the first half was a little different than the second half. The second half, it seemed like it, it went into its groove of the storyline, well, the first one, it, was, it felt like it was still trying to find itself. Like, yeah, I do a, feel like the oh, beginning yeah. was a little weaker. And it, when we rewatched it, I was like, oh, it seems a little le- more low budgety and stuff. But then at, once he came to America and started settling in, I was like, oh, it feels richer now and better. Mm-hmm. But I did, I did like the whole thing with his dad. I thought that's one of the best parts about the movie. And it wasn't like a stereotypical Asian dad where, you know, overbearing, has all these rules. It was very almost idealistic like not not something that you normally see from an american audience like how yeah. they're depicted you know and I, there was one joke in the beginning that kind of made me unsure what i was watching was the one where the girl was underneath the the fountain it seemed like a play on the whole like a pretty girl in in like getting drenched and it seemed kind of like a weird joke to put there because it's like oh you can just stand out over here you know what i mean Oh, when they're both kids. Yeah, they're both kids, yeah. And they're just standing there and they're getting wet. And then he's no, she's getting wet. She's so beautiful. Right. And it was like a, it was like a play on American films where, where the pretty girl is like getting drenched, like a, like a wet t-shirt contest. It mm-hmm. seemed kind of out of place. And then the scene where, where he was going up the escalator and then down the escalator, it yeah. seemed a little out of place. That's, that's what I meant by the first half. It kind of felt like they were still kind of fighting themselves. But once they got into the apartment and they introduced all the roommates... That's where all the jokes started, like really, like working. Yeah. So you're saying that, like, did the first half include him going up the escalator? No, he just said that he thought that part was weird. It was kind of like it's it's out of place. That escalator scene was one of the best scenes. Like, oh really? Okay. 
I love that scene. Like when we, so when we got a, we were able to get a screener of it. I rewatched that scene. I was like, what a great scene! It's just a one shot of him. Because the reason why I thought the scene worked perfectly is that it's to an immigrant who is coming to America for the first time, and he sees that he's be, he's like, wow, this is amazing. And so that Escalade scene set everything without without a single word being uttered. It was yes. just like, that's what the American dream was to him. And that as he, you know, continued being there and then getting mugged and doing all that, then he realized the American dream kind of sucks. So I thought the escalator scene was just, and I think it was just seeing Danny Pudi's reaction as he's just like going, what? And then he's seeing the girls come down the escalator. He's like, what? And I don't know, man. I love this scene. I think it felt, it fit well with, everything else in the film, especially like with the roommates and how they have their sleeping habits right. where they're like, they're all scrunched in together. So they have to, you know, shout out turn and then they do their turns. And I, you know, all their idiosyncrasies and their eccentric moments like helped made this film yeah. like unique for me. No, I, I completely agree. All, all the stuff with the roommate, I thought were great, you know, and you don't normally see that in like movies. What you do normally see them in is in sitcoms. It, to, to me, it felt like the movie was kind of like, uh, it was almost like a big giant sitcom, which isn't a bad thing, to tell you the truth. Because um, I think in the beginning, my, my issue was that I wasn't sure what I was watching. Because like you said, it was made by, by an Indian. And it has a very Asian sensibility. Because Hollywood films are very refined. They're very well produced. They're very high production, all that stuff. Well, if you mm-hmm. watch Asian movies, there's always something kludgy about them. They're not completely that well edited. They're not completely well produced, but they make it work anyway. So for me, it almost seemed like I had to like go back to when I was in the Philippines watching these kinds of movies. And I had to remind myself, oh, wait, I actually did enjoy these kinds of movies. And I just had to kind of give it its excuses of why it isn't a high produced movie because it's, it's, it is an independent film. Do you know what I mean? It is. I, I, don't, I think it's beyond just like, oh, just like Asian filmmaker. But I think simply because it is the true meaning of what it, as an indie film. It was made with an ultra low budget film uh, right. production. They didn't have much money to use. She the spent fact, five years making She this. spent five years making and getting funds and begging people and maxing our credit cards. So it was pretty much like how, you know, it's like we've seen it before. Like when Justin Lin made Better Luck Tomorrow. It's the same thing. It's the indie right. filmmaking thing where we watch and we're like, it's rough around the edges. And then there are moments and uh, where it finds its groove and we're like, okay. Yeah, no, I that's think- what I mean. I was still kind of struggling when it was still trying to find its tone. Uh, but as soon as, like I said, as soon as it got to the apartment, that's when everything just clicked. And I yes. was like really enjoying the movie. Um, speaking of like uh, Justin Lin and his American, but the thing is with the Justin Lin is he had a very American style to better luck tomorrow. Well, this one, I kind of appreciated the fact it did have that Asian feel to it. it for oh, yeah. me, it felt like I was watching an Asian movie. It wasn't an Asian-American movie. It was an Asian movie. You know, and I kind of liked that. It was like, oh, it's, there's a very comfortable feel to it. And that kind of adds to the whole feel-good aspect of the movie. I mean, that makes sense. Uh, Lena Khan is, she's an immigrant herself. And I think she's, yeah, I mean, like, yeah, she spent a lot of years trying to make this movie, and then obviously her difficulty as not only being a woman, but also being a South Asian Muslim woman. Right. Uh, so I give humongous kudos that this film was even made. Yeah. Like, it was made, and it was made to this degree under everything where she had to do everything herself and still put it together by the end of the day. Yeah, I mean, I can criticize the movie for, for having a sitcom kind of storyline, but but it worked. It worked for its own for its own purposes. 
But I would say that um, I think it was uh, Rizwan Manji. I thought he was really good in this movie. Babu? Babu, yeah. Yeah, Babu was really good in the movie. I thought, I thought he was the standout performance short of Danny Pudi. I thought he was the standout performance of this movie. I agree with that. I think the one, he wasn't bad, but I think he came, his character was a character of convenience, was the John Hedder's character, the white yeah, guy. Yeah, I found him yeah. to be the magical cracker in yeah, this film. Yeah, he was. <laughs> or whatever. Because you know how they say the other movies, there's like the magical Negro that appears and solves the problems of the white man. But this one's the reverse. Where it was like, I am the magical cracker who happens to be the son of this multi-billion corporation, whatever it was. And I also am going to be your best friend because I'm in the same room as you. And, and I'm I also, have no prejudice against you. I have no prejudice, and I'm really nice, and I'm going to let you do whatever you want, and we'll be friends. Woo! And, like, the whole time I thought he was going to be some evil, conniving guy, like he was just exploiting the brown man, but then it ends up, no, he actually was a nice guy. See, I, I never got weird. that impression. I thought he was going to be, like, because he was based in the 70s. He was kind of like like uh, a throwback to the hippies who were just peace mm-hmm. and love kind of guy. I, I, that's the impression I got from John Eater. Oh, I mean, that's what I got, but then I was expecting ulterior motives just because he's white. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, like t- tackling on tropes. I mean, the whole tropes with with the uh, the IT people who they're against him or not against him, but like they they're like the jocks, you know, the yeah. bullies against. I mean, yeah, we've seen that trope before, but but I thought the movie worked worked it to its own uh, storyline, decently yeah. well. Oh yeah, I mean, like for sure, it this is definitely relying on like like you said the sitcom tropes, like the whole underdog trope of like. Overcoming like these bullies and the obstacles, and the high school like that. It's, dramas. It's, it's that kind of thing, and I think because it has that, it it does feed into the whole like feel good formula. Like we know it's not original, we know it's nothing new, but it feels it's no Blade Runner. It's no Blade Runner, but it <laughs> it's it, it it moves like it it has a pace, it has a rhythm. Granted, we discussed that the opening was rough. It, it definitely did. Was trying to find. It was a little bit clunky. Oh, and but, it like, so, oh, but it was so. But it was so charming though. The opening, and then once you get to America, everything just moves. No, but it was just like. Um, even yeah. though, even though I have my criticism of the opening, it was very charming though. I I, I completely liked the whole scene with them dancing and all that stuff. I thought yeah. that was a really charming aspect of the movie, and it really like, like put the nail in the coffin in terms of like, this is made by Indians, you know, well Indian yes. Americans. But but I really liked that because most most movies. They will kind of gloss over that a little bit. Like they'll be in the background, but this one kind of really showed you that kind of culture, which you don't normally see. So that was nice. I actually was very charmed by that. It was just like, like I said, my only issue was that it was still kind of finding its place and where it wanted to go with the direction. Mm-hmm. I agree. Okay, so so yeah, in terms of the issues that we had, okay, so we had the magical cracker that was one, and then there was one other issue. We actually discussed this with Lena, be like, oh, what did what was the point of that? Which is in at some point when uh, Danny Putty had to transform John Heater's place into his own place and then invited Karen David and her father to go there. And then, like, so they're impressed. And then all of a sudden, Danny Putty is like, you know what? I'm going to release the truth bomb and tell you that this is all fake. None of this is real. I am so poor and I, I have a terrible job and blah, blah, blah. And then I guess it didn't quite track for me why karen david would get so mad why she, yeah ruby ruby is her name why why ruby would get so mad and be like how dare you lie to me this whole time and so on and so on. and then she storms out and her father was like yeah what my daughter said and he storms out Wait, too. you don't get so, it i completely understood her he completely lied to her they're best friends he shouldn't have to lie to her and that's the that's the impression i got from her where it's okay, like okay so that, okay that's exactly what 
Lena said, right? And oh, we're okay. Like, okay. Okay. I'm glad it, <laughs> it went through you, Albert. <laughs> okay. I guess for me, I was like, but the whole point is that he's trying to impress the father because he wants to marry her. Unless she's truly blind to this and doesn't see that he loves her. And she's just like, no, you're just my best friend. I would never marry you. Then in that point, I'm like, why don't you say that? As like it, it seems like as if she actually had a say in who she got to marry. So I was like, if that's the case, then you should maybe go, hey, dad, stop this farce that we keep doing like let me just marry this guy because i actually care about him and you know he obviously cares for me and he's working hard yada 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 but But that that would be that would be the typical american direction for the female lead yes i realize i kind of like the fact cultural thing yeah i kind of like the fact that she's stuck with her dad because culturally wise that is what's gonna happen that is completely what's gonna happen she may completely be in love with him but in terms of like the real world culture, there's no way she could like just go over her family and go, no, screw you, dad. Well, see, I'm going to go with him. That's the thing, though. Like, uh, if that was the case, like if when he lied, it would have made more sense that like, he he made his confession, da da da, and then the father was like, "This is unacceptable," and he's like, "We need to go." Right, and that is, then that Ruby, <laughs> being the daughter, was like, "I," and at the time period that it was, was like, "I have no choice. I have to go with him." Right. Right, but I can see why she was mad because he kind of betrayed her trust. You know, I get that. I guess the question is like, well, this is where like you know, if he told the truth to her in the first place, that she, when you know when she asked him in the phone call conversations, like, how are you doing, all that, and if he just said straight, it's like, I'm broke, I live with thirteen other people, blah blah blah. I don't think we would have had a movie. No, we wouldn't. Just... I I just think it would have gone a different direction because I've seen uh. other movies where they kind of tackled that, where the guy was being honest. A sure, it would like play off in a long, a lot longer. A couple of years may go by or whatever, but at least the connection would still be pure. They haven't betrayed each other's trust yet, and that's the one yeah. thing about this movie that they kind of went that direction. Admittedly, it's very a, sit, a very a sitcom plot trope, and all I was missing was a laugh track. But but at the same time, it kind of I I still like how they concluded it was she left with her dad because she has no choice, and that's something that I don't see very often in movies, and I kind of did like that. I did like that despite the success of like when they finally were able to make the microwave um, and do what they wanted and they presented it to the bosses and everyone's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But then I think one of the more powerful scenes was like when he was talking to the boss and you don't see what he's saying, but you can see the disappointment registered on Danny Pudi's face and you realize like, oh, shit, they're going to take credit for his work because he's just a brown immigrant. Right. And so... I like that. I was like, no, like it would have been, it would have done a disservice if they're like, you get a promotion and you get to stay here, blah, blah, blah. And so I'm glad like that didn't happen. But at the same time, it wasn't like a, you know, it wasn't a bad ending for everyone because even though he couldn't get that, I think his coworkers still benefit from that. Yes. And they're able to have a better position in life. But that's why I really like how the movie ended because he learned from his dad. His dad was all about taking care of other people yes. and not always about himself. And that's the lesson the Danny Pudi's character completely learned. And and I liked the, how they landed that. It completely worked for me in that regards. And I did I did like the idea that, that he still went after the girl. And we just we just have to assume he made it work out somehow. Or he didn't, or but he it did, doesn't sure. matter. It's an open end at this point. Yeah. Like, yeah. They're just on a road trip now. Yes. But the, the open endedness works because if they try and like try and explain what happened there, it's just gonna be like the twenty fifth act of Blade Runner twenty forty nine all over again. Where it's like, really, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. the direction you're gonna go, really. So I'm kind of glad they stopped where it was getting good. Just, that's the perfect place to stop. 
It's a it's a lean movie. I think the movie is like less than ninety minutes long. Something so, like it it was a it was I guess a relatively short movie that didn't overstay its welcome. And even though I had like maybe a minor uh, you know tripe about the the whole you know the, that sequence, it's it's still it's minor. It's it's just a minor thing that I was like oh that's kind of weird. But it did it wasn't enough that it threw me off entirely. I'm like I don't believe anything now. Uh, I still believe it. I still believe the characters. I like the characters. Um, and then if anyone saw the movie, I was like, that movie was boring. I will fight you. I will fight you so hard. Oh, um, you're already fighting. You spat all over me. Yes, I did. I'm spitting all over Josephine. Um, yeah, that's pretty much what I got to say about this charming little indie. Uh, I wanted to say that one of my favorite scenes that we rewatched multiple times was uh, the scene when he invites the father and Rudy Ru- Ruby into the house because then he's like, oh, John Heater, you're going to be my butler. And they're like, what the fuck? A white butler? He's like, yeah, why not? And then like the whole exchange because that happens between that them. Successful. When, yeah, when he's like, oh, turn off the lights, please. I mean, oh, turn off the lights, butler. He's like, yes, your lordship. And like all the crap he would say back. And I was like, I feel like he actually shined there because the other moments that like I'm not saying he's a bad actor or anything, but you know, I was very, very like suspicious of him because I'm like, oh, white man, he's totally evil and manipulative. But then when he finally was just like, man, my house. <laughs> oh, and then later in that scene, the the alcohol thing. Was like, oh, yeah. When that? he was like, what are these tiny sh- uh, these shot glasses? Like, do you drink alcohol? He's like, no, they're tiny glasses for from tiny glasses of milk. And we have tiny cookies. <laughs> <laughs> we have everything here in America. I was like, oh, my God. Like, that was like the whole Abed, like, you know, snarkiness that he would have. But I was like, oh, but he just does it so well that I really, really enjoyed that. Yeah, it's very much like I said, like like a sitcom. And once again, yeah. that is yeah. not a bad thing. It, it it takes the good qualities of a sitcom and applies it to a movie it's, it's, and it made it work. It's not really sitcom because I guess it's, it's more like, it's like a single cam. It's like, that's pretty much what, you know, modern family is. It's like, right. it, it, it's, you know, I guess that's the definition of what a single cam is. You just take out this last soundtrack and does that, does that make it a single? Well, it's supposed to make it like seem more real because it's like a documentary style where it's just one camera kind of thing. Oh yeah, yeah. Catch You're right. In fly. that sense, it is more. It's kind of like fresh out the boat thing, yeah. where it's a little larger than life, so it's not quite naturalistic. Yeah. But it's still so, a situational okay. comedy. It's a situation. Yes. It's funny. It's a comedy. So yes, the sitcom aspect to it. Sense. You know, I'm like, but it reminds me of like Perfect Stranger. You guys ever watch Perfect Perfect Strangers, the TV series? Sounds... Came out in the no, late 80s. Or it's kind of like that. You got one character, Balky Bartomimus, who came from uh, from a, a foreign country and he's cousin Larry, the American guy, and they kind of like hijinks ensues with culture clashes and whatnot. So, you know, there's there's that kind of aspect to it that I kind of, like I said, it's a throwback to what I liked when I was a kid. And that's part of the reason why I had fun watching this movie. Okay. Um, hmm. What else did uh, Lena say that, that you guys want to share with the, with the listeners? Let's see. I'm trying to think. Uh, ah, man. Okay, so I think overall, what we're I think a lot of discussion was about in terms of like her filmmaking career and also just like any obstacles that came across the way as a woman, as a South Asian Muslim. And I think, yeah, and and then from there it was just like so once this film happened. Uh, great things happened. Like once the film came out, the LA Asian Film Festival last year. Not too long after that was how, when she got signed with uh, one of the top four big agencies. And from it looks like she's already busy. Currently, she sold a TV show 
and she's working on another movie. So if anything, like, you know, this is this film, like if this is her first real like this is her first feature film ever. And then it usually first feature films from anyone, usually they're not that great. Yeah, it's rough, very rough around the edges, and you're like, all right, maybe we'll see better things in the future. But I think what I will always take away from this is that this was our very first, and it kind of like hit the hit the ball out of the park. And I'm excited to see where it goes from there. So I think we're we're trying to get out of her. Like, what are these projects you're doing? Like, can you tell us anything more? And she, you know, I guess she can't say anything about it. So she's like, oh, I'm just working on some stuff, some TV shows I sold, and we're like, ooh. What are these shows you sold? But um, yeah, um, the and then the emphasis. Then we we're just talking about in terms of like representation in the media when it comes to like Asian Americans, and you know um, because her films, her her journey as a filmmaker has always been activist oriented in a sense that not to say she wants to make a, a thesis out of her films or like you know have a heavy handed message. But just the sheer simple fact that a film can have an activist stance by just having that said person who you normally don't see in the you know the prime spotlight take the spotlight and be the lead. So in this case, it's like it's not overly like stated, but Danny Pudi's character is a Muslim, and it's like I think more at this time it is more relevant than ever. Like when it came out. I mean, it's it's been relevant, but like even more so now with, you know, especially with the current presidency and a lot of like, you know, like sites, you know, wondering about like is is Islam and Islamophobia, that it is great to see a film that doesn't have to make a statement. It's like, look, Muslims aren't all bad. And then this was just a film. It was just this is one Muslim immigrants experience. And they're not going to go into like, oh, like. You know, the racism and all that, which he did experience some of that, but that was not what the film was about. And so uh, it's good to see filmmakers that are especially minority filmmakers that still are concerned with, you know, providing positive portrayals of minorities in the media without having to state a message to do so. Yeah, I agree. Uh, Because if you watch a lot of Asian movies, yeah, they have like white actors or European actors, French actors, along with Asian actors, they never really always point out that, oh, hey, they're a different race. You know, they just are. They're just part of the storyline. They're just the characters. But a lot of, like I said, a lot of the uh, American-made movies, they have to point out the race for some reason. So, uh, yeah, that's, that's another thing about this movie that I did enjoy a lot. I mean, the only thing they pointed out really was in the beginning when they're introducing all the roommates. And there's that one guy, and they're like, oh, he's da-da-da-da. And he's like, he's actually black, but... You know, whatever. We'll let him live here with all right. of uh, the, the other Indians. But, but that's also because the actor himself is black. And right. the, he, when he mentioned that, he was like, hey, I realize, you know, I'm not actually Indian. So how can we, like, rectify this? And then they're like, well, we really want to use you. So we're just going to throw in some random ass line in here about how you're black and move on. Yeah. But I Yeah, I thought that was hilarious because it was like, yeah, at, at, it, from the impression, they didn't at first know he was black until... I forgot. I already forgot the I scene. Forgot, forgot. But so, then they, they so didn't in, mention. In real, like, oh, in real life, black. in real life, they actually didn't know he was black. Is that no, what you're they saying? Didn't know, they yeah. thought he was Indian. They thought yeah. he was Indian, but after they had cast him already, they were, he was like, "No, I'm I'm black. I'm not actually <laughs> Indian." And then they're like, "Oh, 
quick, write this line in here right. <laughs> just so we can clear that up so we won't have any... And uh, I was like, it's still believable because it's yeah, like, yeah. He's, he's still part of the minority experience of just like, you know, people living in hard times, trying to make ends meet, all trying to fit into that one suit. Oh yeah, Josephine Collins, you know, the whole fact that they could wear one suit. Uh, they technically had two they suits. They had two suits. But right. like the joke was that Josephine said, and so it's like if there was like Sisterhood, the traveling pants... This is the Brotherhood of the Traveling Suit. Yes, because I don't know if you know anything about that sisterhood thing. No, I don't. It was a book that they made into a movie with Blake Lively and the girl from Gilmore Girls. But it's about how these four girls share the same pair of pants. But then these four girls are all completely different sizes. But then it's like they're best friends and they all go off on their separate ways. And then so to share their memories of each other, they share these pants. They like send it off like, oh, I'm having a bad week. I'm going to wear these pants. So and then it, something good it, things happen. It's really weird. So is and it then one like, pant that, that they're actually sharing? One, one, one set of pants? Yeah, one pair of pants. Like a pair of denim and pants. And it, it's magic because it fits all of them? Yes. Yes. <laughs> okay. I know it's really yay, um, young adult fiction. Um, so yeah, they and then I think one day they tried it on. And they're like, oh, these pants look so nice. And then the other girl tries it on. And they're like, oh, how we all fit in them, but we're all completely different sizes. That's so. Oh, let's buy them. You know. And then they like, you know, the stories about whenever each girl has a pair of pants, the story is told from her point of view. And I guess whatever shitty stuff she's going through becomes better because she has the pants. So it's like an ontology. Anyway. That reminded me of uh, their suit because all these guys, all these different men are wearing the suits. I mean, yes, there's like two particular suits, but still, Danny Pudi is a very, very tall, skinny man. What are the chances you're going to find other men his size? But you see, know, that, like, that's, obviously- that, that's also a very Asian thing where they're very res- they're poor, but they're very resourceful. And they, they don't make it a point that to, to show that, oh, hey, they're poor and they can only share one pa- one one suit. They just do it. You know, another movie would probably point out, yeah, we, we only have one suit, but this is the best we could do. For them, it's like, quick, put it on. You know, kind of thing. it was like, I like that energy that that, that that one scene had. Yeah. And also when he met, met his, the first roommate, right? B- uh, Babu. Babu. And he, he was like, yeah, come on. I, I've had hard times too. So you're, you're my people. Let's go. Yeah. And then they just go and you're like, oh, wow. That was. Yeah, it's like there is this film is a little bit of like there's like some I guess I don't know. It's it's heightened realism. It's like it's not quite reality. But at the same time, it's like if it was like dark, like sheer realism, none of this would have happened. It would just be much more depressing. And we might as well just not watch the movie because it's like, ah, this sucks. You know, this is a hard time. We don't want to watch this. But then it's kind of like that's where what you were saying about the whole like it feels like an Asian movie makes sense because a lot of American films tend to go towards that where it's like, we're going to show you how depressing and dark it is and then it'll be an award-winning film because... La La Land? Because it wasn't dark and depressing at all? She wasn't poor and suffering (laughs) at all? Exactly. So that's why it's like it was an escapism in that sense. So it's kind of like, you know, La La Land, like, you know, it, it has a similar vein because it's an escapist film. One could say... Tiger film has that same vibe as well. Tiger film? I mean, Tiger Hunter. (laughs) Okay. All right. Any other last words? Definite must watch. Obviously, we have some problems, but what no movie, unfortunately, is perfect. Uh, But for an indie film that was mainly done by this one, I mean, okay, she had a team of people to help her, but, you know, she was orchestrating everything. Like, I was blown away. Um, And I liked the film a lot, and I will definitely rewatch it. I shared her sentiments. 
And so I, I'm. It's still currently out in theaters, but I'm also interested that when when it comes out on Blu-ray and DVD, I'll make sure to let people know, like, hey, you should go at least rent it or whatever and check it out because it's definitely worth watching. Yeah, definitely check it out. Uh, Asian movie that doesn't have to involve kung fu, and also yep. <laughs> an Indian movie that doesn't focus too much on the fact that they're Indian or they're Muslim. So yeah, thumbs up. Uh, definitely check it out. Well, you you, you saw the movie because you listened to this, right? Thank you once again. Or thank are you for... they just spoiling everything for themselves? <laughs> because <laughs> so once again, thank you for supporting independent films. It's always appreciated. And on that note, thanks for listening. Uh, thank Josephine Edward for being on the show. Where can people find you online? Uh, you can find me on Facebook and Instagram at SlowJoJoJo and Twitter at I am Josephine. This is Edward. You can find me on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram at Cinnabon Monster. And this is Albert. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Albert5x5. You can also find me in my I Saw the Movie blog for my non-spoiler movie reviews on my comic strip at the Coco Mix Mix section of the website and on the other podcast, The Stuff and Junk Show. So check that out. Uh, you can send comments to whowhatworstwhy at gmail.com via our Facebook page or through the website. If you want to show your support, just head over to whowhatworstwhy.com slash support to find out how. Music has been provided by the Y-Axis. Find them at theyaxis.com. All the links and information can be found at whowhatworstwhy.com. And I do want to point out, uh, you guys mentioned the fact that, that even though these people are struggling, you know, it isn't like La La Land where, where they're struggling, but they're not really struggling. You know, this one, the one thing I really miss about Asian cinema is that when, when people are struggling, they are poor. And they literally are poor. And what I'm, yep. I'm sick and tired of movies, even though I enjoy La La Land, I'm sick and tired of movies like La La Land where their poor people aren't really poor. You know, they're so str- fucking they're rich. Yeah. They're just shit. Most more American movies need to really focus on on like the actual not middle class people and actually the poor class people and have them be the real underdogs because they are the real underdogs and that's the one thing I've always noticed about like Asian soap operas. Asian soap operas when it's about poor people, it's about poor people, you know. Yeah. Well, well, American soap operas is always about the rich. I'm sick and tired of trying to relate to the rich. I want to relate to people closer to where my financial level is at. So more of that, please. More of that. Oh, speaking of that, uh, this has nothing to do with anything, the movie that we're talking about. You were talking about the rich white people. Um, Dynasty. I don't, okay, I don't know anything about the show. I've, but then I was asking Edward about it, and he was like, God, isn't that just some other show about rich white people exactly. and their problems? And I'm like, yeah, I don't know anything about it, except I saw a weird, um, what was it, like an a, advert, promo or... a promo for it, where it was like, you see this butler showing a woman like a very fancy necklace, right? So you see all these gems in the shape of a necklace on his, this little stand, and then she points out to a few pieces, and then he picks up the pieces with the little like ice cube holders, like, and it's actually just like, there, it's not a necklace. It's just gems in the shape of one. And then he picks off like the biggest pieces, puts them in a glass, uh, like a little container for an, an alcoholic drink. And then he pours alcohol in it and gives it to her. And then she drinks it. And then the ad was like, our ice is more expensive than the drink. And I was like, oh, <laughs> this is for Dynasty. <laughs> and oh everyone was God. like, that you're not, you're not actually so going to watch that, right? You're not actually going to. Okay. I think in done in a. What? No, I'm saying you're not actually going to watch that, right? No, I'm not going to watch it, but the ever was saying it sounds so over the top ridiculous that it might actually be worth watching. Like it's not saying like, "Oh, look at these rich people have problems and trying to relate mm. to them." But you're like, "Watch these rich people have problems, but they're and so stupid." And like that it actually so would be actually, like Actually, I think my my opinion of the show changed because like when she told me the promo, I'm like, "No, it's it's a parody of it. It's like don't have any sympathy for these rich people. 
because it's stupid. Wait, so Dynasty? But we're gonna, it's so it's like it's a send up of a soap opera in oh. that sense. So the, the new Dynasty is going to be a parody of the old Dynasty. That's no, that's we'll the see. part where we don't know. We don't this know. Is like me literally just basing it off of that promo. Well, I apologize to the filmmakers of this dynasty, but I'm not going to give it a chance because <laughs> well, it, it looked to me, it's just another rich white problem kind of thing. It's like, I don't Probably. need that. Probably. It's even even like Riverdale. Riverdale, where, where they are technically some poor people, they're like Jughead. They don't seem so poor to me. You know, yeah, Archie, I've never seen the show. I only used to read the comics, but I'm like, Archie and Jug, everybody but yeah. Veronica are regular people. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And they just well, they're regular people, life. but they're suburban middle class people, you know. Yeah, but then I mean, they you know they're not as rich as Veronica. So when Veronica comes in and flaunts her shit, people are like, "Oh shit, this bitch got so much money." But all the adventures, they, the, all the adventures they go to in that show or or the comic book, don't you think you uh-huh. need to have money for that? <laughs> right. I don't even remember. I just feel like most of the time it was a stupid love triangle I mean, between Archie help, and Betty. Help me out here. Is there TV shows out right now? That, that I'm currently watching or that you guys are currently watching where it actually does focus from the poor poor people's perspective? Atlanta. Atlanta? Atlanta. Atlanta. There we go. Atlanta. Atlanta is one. Yeah, you're right. Atlanta is a great example. Yeah. Of like, there, there is a good example. He yeah. is going through some hard times and at some point, uh, there's an episode where like shit keeps happening to him and at the end of the day, he's just like overwhelmed by it. He's like, I, I don't, I don't know what to do. Like, and it's, he's about to have like a breakdown. Because it's just like everything keeps happening that takes his money, whatever, and he do- he doesn't know what to do because he has to pay for food and everything. He doesn't even have enough for that. So I was like, the film was it, it is a comedy, but it is it's dark in many places and it goes very weird in many places. But if you haven't checked the show, I would definitely recommend it. Right, right. Plus, point black black Justin Bieber, but anyway. why? Yeah, the episode of Black just. Oh, but anyway, anyways, but yeah, I th- I think the reason why I have this criticism about American uh, depiction of quote unquote poor people because I think for Americans they like watching rich people have problems because they want to say like ah oh, look at all those rich people they have problems too, yeah. right? But they they don't want to watch like poor people having problems because they can relate too much. And but also I, don't forget who's running these shows. It's the rich people, right? Right, and they're like. I want to talk about my problems because they're the hard ones. And you're like, shut fuck up. I, I really think there is a market to have a show, a sitcom, heck, that, that is about actual poor people. And, and then I think it will be like maybe a nice hit for a lot of people because they can relate with these people. I really think somebody needs to try that. I know Malcolm in the Middle, technically all the family is poor. But once again, they go through certain hijinks where it makes you think like, are they really poor? You guys watch Malcolm in yeah, the Middle? Yeah, I think there's... Oh, it was Raising Hope. Raising Hope, yeah. I they, feel like they that family was... They were, they were struggling. Because the mom yeah. was like a hoarder. And she would also like every... Because she used to work like... She was like a cleaning maid lady person. And then so when people would throw out nice stuff, she would t- take all of it. Because she's like, oh my God, I need this stuff. And I never saw it too, but Shameless. Shameless is supposedly... I guess they actually are Yeah, that's a working people. class family in that okay. one. Okay. Okay, so they do exist. Okay. Atlanta. They do, they do exist. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. They do exist. Oh, all right, but more of that, people, more of that. <laughs> All right, this has been another episode of Supporters Please, which is part of the Who What Worst Why Network.